0: few of you may have heard this story uh i've before i've I've shared it in a couple of settings when i was 12 or 13 years old i was on a youth mission trip with the youth group of the church i grew up in Um, we were way out in wyoming and uh they had there there was like this it, it it felt like a river at the time it might have been just a nice flowing stream for all i know i don't know um but there was this body of water that was moving along and there were some rocks and other things that Uh, uh, you could um, climb out on, and and our youth group had stopped there, and we were having dinner on the shore, and um, they told us to, hey, stay in this specific area. Don't go past this spot. And uh, so my friend Aaron and I went past the spot where they told us not to because we saw more fun down the way. And uh, we climbed out on these rocks, and it did not daunt, believe it or not, 12- or 13-year-old boys are not the smartest um, uh, wisest guys in the world well they actually are quite wise guys but uh, they're not the smartest and um, we climbed out on these rocks and un- unbeknownst to us rocks that have been washed over by water they're, they're quite slippery and so uh, we're out there and hearing Aaron tell the story Aaron would tell it that he started sliding down this rock and was sliding into the river and couldn't get his grip on it because it's slippery and hearing him tell it, he looked up and like all he could see was like the setting sun. Uh, he was staring right into it. And then hearing him tell, it, he says his hand reached down like it came from the heavens and reached down and grabbed him and pulled him back up to safety. And I was that, that was my hand. Uh, Aaron legitimately believes that I saved his life. You see, the thing is, uh, a little bit further down the way was a waterfall. And... Um, I personally think the current was not that strong that he could have swam to the shore. But if he wants to believe I saved his life, I'm not going to stop him. Uh, but anyway, it's still that was over 20 years ago. And still, whenever I hear Aaron tell that story and I've heard him tell it a, a number of times, uh, it, 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 it always is funny to hear him tell it as he as he tells it with great zeal and great zest with over the top personality Um, And it's nice to have that card to play with him when I see him when I'm back home visiting. Like, hey, Aaron, you remember that time I saved your life? And uh, it is good for us to remember the great works that have been done on our behalf. It is good for us to remember the things that have rescued or redeemed or set us apart. In one sense, this is why we gather for worship, even on a day when the weather is terrible could be worse don't get me wrong but you know we're, we're on the fence about as we're watching the weather leading up to today is it going to be too snowy is it going to be too bad and yet it is good for the people of God as they are able to gather to worship because we regularly need to be reminded of the great rescue that we have received by God we need uh, the the reformer Martin Luther who uh, had a a zeal to him that, that few could rival. When he was asked one time, why do you regularly preach the gospel week by week by week by week, regularly hammering on the gospel to your people? He said, because week by week by week, my people forget the gospel. And that was not a dig at his people. It was a statement of our human condition. We regularly need to be reminded of the gospel. But don't take my word for this. Take God's word for it. I invite you to follow along as I read Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 to 28. Now we're kind of diving in, parachuting into the book of Exodus, so you might wonder what in the world is going on there. Well, the people, have, the people of Israel have been rescued by God. Uh, God has just brought about plagues upon Egypt, but he's protected his people. He's instituted the Passover where he will pass over his people in judgment as they hope in the, uh, the, the, the sacrifice of, of, of another that has happened in their place. And now the Lord is laying before them how they as a people are to remember the work that he has done. And so following as I read from Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 to 28. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all of the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel in the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning, for the Lord will pass over For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. May God bless this preaching of his word upon his church. So here in Exodus 12, we see two sections. First, instruction from God on how the people of Israel are to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's verses 14 to 20. And then we have the action of the people, sacrificing a lamb without blemish for the Passover. And so think of these two like this. Passover was an event that, God, that, that commemorated the salvation of the people of God. And uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a part of this Passover celebration where, where they would remember and recommit themselves to live in holiness and fidelity to God as people who had been given new life by him. As he had passed over their sin and given them new life. And so he gives us these things. He gave, he gave the people of Israel these things. Uh, that, they might, that, that, they might, that God's grace might be before them at the forefront of their minds and their community. You see this in verses 14 to 17. As, it, as he references how these are, are communal acts, this shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall leaven out your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first to the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from the house of Israel. And then going down to verse 17, you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this day I brought your hosts out of Egypt. Notice that the Feast of Unleavened unleavened Bread is a response. It is after the Lord has promised to bring them out of Egypt. They don't do it before they leave Egypt. They do it after they are brought out of Egypt. You know, this is kind of the upside-down nature of Christianity on display. Any other world religion, any other uh, worldview, any other philosophy will basically try to tell you, whether it's Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, Hinduism, any other worldview or world religion will try to tell you god is up there or a higher power or a higher being is up there and let and, and we can tell you how best to try to get to him but christianity says well actually god is up there and we are down here but we can't get make our way to him he must come to us and this is what god has revealed in his word and so in, in, in these other ways of looking at the world, it will say, okay, so you make your way to God by trying to, by, by trying to clear your mind, by trying to, to grow in peacefulness, by trying to grow in, 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 in morality or in virtue or, 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 or anything that may help you to earn your way into the presence of God. But the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of Christianity, is that, it, it, that, that the word of God shows us that we do not live out our righteous lives in pursuit of God's grace rather we live it because we are recipients of God's grace we live it in obedience to him as ones who have been set apart for him by his grace he delivered them across the Red Sea as he delivered them from slavery in Egypt and then he gave them his law he did not say you meet this standard and then I will deliver you and this is wonderfully good news this is wonderfully good news because in the mercy and the kindness of God, he does not tell us how far you must get to. He tells us, I have come to you and I have given you myself. Now, it's interesting. You might, as, as we read through this, you might think to yourself, man, God was really serious about them not even leavened, eating leavened bread. You know it's referenced over and over and over six times in these verses. God tells them to not make anything made with yeast or with leaven, or, or with leaven. This is this is unleavened bread. It was it was not very tasty. It was more like a cracker than like a cakeish bread. And as you wonder, okay, what is what is God doing here? Throughout the Bible, leaven or yeast getting into bread was symbolic of of corruption or can, contamination of the people through sin entering their midst. And so what this shows us is, in sense, God is serious about the purity of his covenant people. He gives them this feast to remind them of their responsibility to grow in holiness, their responsibility to guard their holiness, guard their devotion to God as a corporate people of God. You see, sometimes we can mistake talk of the holiness of God with, with stodginess. Or if we think of God, we think, oh, God must have like an, an inability to smile. Or, or, or he's, he's just looking there waiting to crush others. This is sometimes the image we get when we talk of holiness. Maybe viewed suspiciously with a raised eyebrow. Maybe a, a, a holy life is one lived. You think of it with somebody who practices extreme asceticism. Eating very little. Bringing great uh, pain upon themselves in devotion to God. The pursuit of holiness is not the pursuit of dour, joyless religiosity. But true growth and holiness is a joyful endeavor where the Christian simply runs towards Christ, her or his Redeemer. And why is this? Because Christ has already made him or her new. You are living the life that Christ has given to you, not living a life trying to earn the love of God so God sets this apart, sets his people apart and commands that they live lives reminding themselves that they are a people set apart for him and for his glory. See, this is why the Passover and Unleavened Bread, Feast of Unleavened Bread are tied together. If one calls for holy living, the other says, look at the grace of God that can lead you to this holy living. If you just had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you would say, I don't have the ability to, to maintain this purity. But, if you have, but you have the Passover with it that tells you, and God has atoned for your sins. And So now as we see and we consider these instructions for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we must deal with this reality. There's a danger that some people who are associated with the Israelites, though they would soon geographically leave Israel, would still spiritually, or geographically leave Egypt, would would still spiritually be in Egypt. And this is one reason God sets apart this command to holiness for his people. He has redeemed us, not that we might just have the stamp of, I'm a Christian on our lives and just go about our business as we always have been. But he he redeems us and he sets us apart, saying that you belong to me and now your life is lived in obedience to me. And this is our responsibility as a church. And so, as we talk about it, or we consider this idea of the holiness of God, I want you to think about it like this and God's command for us to pursue holiness. I had a doctor's appointment this week, just a regular yearly checkup. And uh, it, everything, I think, went fine. But imagine you're at the doctor, and the doctor walks in and says, All right, everything looks good. Heart looks good. Blood pressure looks pretty good. Cholesterol's all right. You've Other than that tumor you've got growing in your abdomen, everything looks fine. You would say, to, excuse me, Um, um, can you repeat that last part? Not many of us are doctors who have studied cancer, but we have enough knowledge to know that one tumor or group of cells can mess up the whole body. What God is showing his people here is that if they are not entirely devoted to him, they kind of live halfway in halfway out obedience to him then what they are actually inviting in is that which could contaminate that which could poison their souls that which could bring the destruction on the people of israel and so this is why we have a responsibility as the people of god to be serious about helping one another to grow in the faith how easily can we try to spur one another on encourage one another and praying for each other and asking in in And sitting down with one another and say, hey, how are you doing in in, in the faith? How are you doing in in life? Are there areas in which you're struggling to trust God? You will find as you talk to other Christians that there are areas in which they struggle to trust God. I have areas in my life where I struggle to trust God. But God has given us one another, not that we can uh, 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 remain distant and detached from one another, but that we might draw near to each other and help one another to hope in God. To remind one another of the goodness of God. And you know, the most holy people are the people who believe in the holiness and goodness and love of God towards them. Holiness is simply taking hold of the love of God and believing that it is actually true for you. It is this idea of, 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 of believing his word that he has given to us for our good. And it is not just believing it intellectually, but believing it experientially and beginning to apply it to us that we may be changed, that we may be transformed by these truths that we profess, that Jesus Christ has come, that he is is that final Passover lamb, that he is the sacrifice for our sins, and that his life uh, uh, given in our place makes all the difference. Now, a pursuit of holiness in the church is not everyone walking around on their toes, wondering if they're not going to measure up. It's a growth in delighting in the love of God for one another together. And so God gave the people of Israel the Feast of Unleavened Bread that they might remind each other that they've been set apart by God. And he has given us our responsibility to hold the gospel out and remind one another that we have been bought with a price. We have been bought with nothing less than the blood of the Son of God himself. We have been redeemed, we have been ransomed, and we now belong to him. But we we, we don't just hold that out as a responsibility of ours to grow in the gospel together. We also have the responsibility to teach of the redeeming work of God in the life of the church and, and, and even into future generations. You see in verse 14 where it says, um, let me get there, my fingers are slippery this morning. Uh, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Passing it on. That, that, that's the implication there. Passing it on. The Christian faith is something that the church has held dear for thousands of years and we have a responsibility simply to pass the message of the gospel on how do we do that by gathering to worship each week and weeks turn into months and months turn into years and years turn into decades and decades turn into centuries and god graciously meets and provides for his people week by week through the fellowship of his word as the message of the gospel is passed on in the life of the church This goes on to verses 24 to 27. You would see if you look at those, you'd see more and more and more references to um, uh, uh, to passing it on to, to future generations, to those who will come after you. Let me ask you a question. I I think I know the answer to this. And it's always dangerous to ask questions in a large group setting and in a church setting. And you don't know if anyone, if one person answers uh, how you don't expect on it, it kind of blows up the illustration. But I think this will work. Uh, Were any of you present for the events of the Revolutionary War from 1775 to 1783? I don't think anybody was. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Uh, That works. So nobody can raise their hand saying they were present for those events. But if I ask you to raise your hand, if you enjoy the benefits of what that accomplished, every single hand would go up. Freedom, liberty, the, 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 the blessings of America that we enjoy. We have become recipients of those blessings. We have become recipients of those freedoms. And just like we look back upon the Revolutionary War and we look back upon what, what those who have fought for our freedom have accomplished, we look back further upon the wonder of the gospel and what Jesus Christ has accomplished in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And though we were not there, we have become the recipients of what has been passed to us by generations who have faithfully proclaimed and faithfully believed and applied the gospel to their life as a, as a people of God. And So how do, how we, 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 th- this in one sense informs our responsibility to grow together in the faith This informs our responsibility to pass the Christian faith on to others, to pass the Christian faith on to those who who uh, uh, are younger and would come into our midst to pray that God would give us future influence, future opportunity with 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 families and children that God would bring to us, that that the ministry of the gospel in this community would just continue to pass on, we continue to go forward. You know, that's one of the great prayers that we all can make as a church, that God would just. Continue the ministry on that he would bring people to faith, that he would bring uh, young people into our church, that the message of the gospel would just pass on to generation after generation after generation. Why? For their good, but also for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of future generations hearing and believing and responding. So we pass this on to future generations. You can pray this for your children, for your grandchildren. You can pray that they would hear the gospel, that they would believe the gospel, that the word of God would grip their hearts, would transform their souls, and that they would believe in and be moved by the power of Christ. And you know what's beautiful about this? This kind of shows us that the system is rigged, that God is committed to preserving the glory of his name through his people. And so as we pray that he would bless our evangelism as a church, as we pray that he would bring people to faith, as we pray that he would bring about conversions by the power of the gospel, by the proclamation of the gospel through our ministry as a church, we know that he will bring new birth. Because he is serious enough and resolved enough to build a people that stand as a testimony to the glory of his name. How do we know this? Well, we look back to the Exodus. We see a God who's serious enough and powerful enough to part a Red Sea that he might deliver his people out. We look a little further back, or a little closer beyond the Exodus, a little closer to our day. And we see how how do we know that we can take hold of the promises of God today as a church? We see the Son of God who came and lived and died and suffered in order that he might redeem his people, in order that he might set us apart, shed his blood that his church might, who belongs to him, might hope in Him, might be transformed by Him. And so, may we never lose sight of the wonder of what it is for the church to gather together to worship. We have unique opportunity to provoke joy in one another as we gather weekly and as we recount the truths of the Gospel in song and in Scripture. And to, to be reminded of these things and to pass them on you see, these two events, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were woven together by God in His wisdom that His people would never move beyond the awareness of their great need for Him. And, Dear church, He has given us the blessing of His Word and of prayer and the ability to laugh together, to cry together, to encourage one another, to look back upon the cross and resurrection of Christ continually because this must be at the forefront of our minds as well. Whenever I'm back in Arkansas and visiting my friend Aaron and other friends and he goes into the story about me saving his life, I get a chuckle as he over-exaggerates the story. But dear church, it's possible for Aaron to over-exaggerate the story of what I did for him. But it is not possible for the church to over-exaggerate the power and the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done for us. May we be conscious to keep the redeeming work of Christ at the forefront of our minds And teach this good news to those who would come into our church and to future generations.